If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss what in the world is happening on wall street economic indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature this podcast is powered by Acast. How are you there? Hope you are enjoying this summer. Hope you're taking your hauls soon or you're just chilling out. You enjoyed last week's fine weather. Who knows? We might even get a proper August. How are you, John? I'm very good. Do you know what? I'm still laughing at the, and maybe I shouldn't, but I am. Our friend. Is, be funny. <laughs> our Bolsonaro friend in Brazil. What uh, about our Bolsonaro friend in Brazil? He was taken to the hospital. Was he? He was taken to the hospital because... He's had hiccups for the last 10 days, solid. Seriously. No way. Seriously. Did you not try the, drinking the glass of water upside yeah, down? Yeah. And give him a fright and all that kind of stuff. He's had really bad hiccups for over 10 days now. And they had to take him to the hospital. I just think that's hilarious. But you know, if you actually, have you ever had bad hiccups? No, I don't think so. It's really, really, really disturbing. <laughs> No, it is. It actually gets in on top of you. And then, of course, you have to drink. Have you ever have you tried the drink in the glass of water? Oh, yeah, the... I've tried all It actually works. Things. It's uh, amazing. No. I swear to Jesus, it does work. <laughs> it looks really weird, right? Because you've got to get the I water. You've got to get the water. And you've, got to, you've got to get the water. You've got to put your chin down. You've got to kind of soak the water from your top lip. And then it hits the top of your roof of your mouth and it slivers down the other way. For whatever, it actually does work. It does work. You know, because it's, it's, it's not a great look. Because you do a wine. Well, you probably you get it from wine. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. You get it from wine. Anyway, I'm glad you see that John and I are involved in the intricacies of global economics. These are the things that keep us going. Bolsonaro's hiccups and things. Oh, there's such trivia on the Dave McGuinness podcast. Now, I want to talk about the global economy. Go on. Because in a way, we're kind of half, look, we've had the opening up. We're sort of halfway through the year, right? Yeah. And this is the year that is the economy going to work? Is it not going to work? Yeah. What's, the impact, the, the, what's the impact of the pandemic, la, 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 all that sort of stuff. As I, years ago, I called it a pandeshan. It's yes. a recession brought about by a pandemic. So it's not a recession in the traditional way. It's something different. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk to Paul Donovan, chief economist of UBS. Yep. He's talking to clients all over the world. He's watching all the data. He's got a brilliant worldview. Let's go to London, talk to Paul. And our idea is it's a sort of like a midterm report. What's going on <laughs> yeah. with the global economy? What have we learned? What's going on? What's the difference between the US and China and all these places? And when we get out of this, finally, what will be the consequences? What will be the legacy of the pandemic? So let's go and talk to Paul in London. Paul, how are you? 
I'm very well, David. Yourself? I'm in a flying form, actually, in great form. We're we in an uncharacteristic heat wave here in Ireland, uh, which means that everyone takes their clothes off. And given our melanin-deficient skin, we all end up with fourth-degree burns in A&E. You know, so I think that if if COVID hasn't filled up our hospitals, A and E, I think sunburn will. But it's been we're in great form. I'm flying form. Listen, Paul, let's get straight into it. The world economy. You're talking to clients all the time. You're talking to people who manage money. You're talking to people who manage their wealth. People are watching this. The minutiae. Let's take a wee bit of altitude away from the all the uh, the headlines for the weeks, in the newspapers and on Twitter and ever. What do you think is going on? Give me the give me your feel for going for what the world economy is at and where we're going. Well, I'm going to start by agreeing with you, David, which which is a turn up. Yeah, it is, actually. So so the language that you were using, I think, is exactly right. We didn't have a recession last year. The economy shut down. And we haven't had a recovery. The economy's opened back up again. This is a very different thing. And one of the big problems we've had over the last 18 months is people have been trying to squeeze the pandemic into a classic recession recovery cycle. It just doesn't fit very, very different situation. So we sort of gradually emerged from the pandemic with a number of things. We've had um, more savings in the economy than normal. That's very uncharacteristic in a recession recovery cycle. We've had more businesses. Businesses were created during the pandemic. A lot of people setting up side hustles and so on and so forth. Again, very, very unusual. So it's creating all of these distortions and we've got very messy data as a result. But the bottom line is um, the economies that are lifting restrictions, particularly in the developed world, are basically coming back on stream pretty quickly. And we've got consumer-led growth because the money that was saved during the pandemic, we we couldn't go out, you couldn't do anything. You were sat at home, online shopping, yes, but that was about it. That money saved in that period is now being put to work in the economy. Very distinct pattern. In the first phase... You spend it on stuff, you buy goods, yep. and then in the second phase, you want to have fun. Okay. Buying a new washing machine is not fun. Going out for drinks with friends and family is fun. So what I say is that the, the spending now, as we come into this second phase, the US is there, the UK is there, Europe's a little bit behind, but it's getting in that general direction. The, the money that we're spending uh, has to pass the Instagram test. People will spend money on things that they can then post about on Instagram afterwards. So that's going out, entertainment, holidays if you're allowed to take them, and new clothes. And that's pretty much it. So yeah, we're doing all right, basically. So the first lesson is do not, and this is very important, do not look at a classic bust, recession, recovery cycle, because that's not what we're talking about. Absolutely. And this is why... For so long, the data was coming in stronger than expected, stronger than expected, because the market consensus, you know, the, the pontificating classes are all coming up with these models which are saying, although well, in a recession, this is what happens, and it's, it's not what happens. So the data's come up stronger than expected. What's also been very interesting is, of course, statisticians, when they come up with these numbers, you know, everyone thinks, oh, that's GDP, that's it. No, it's not. GDP is largely guesswork. Most of these numbers are largely guesswork. You're absolutely right. Guess- By the way, we, we do have to reveal this because uh, Paul and I spent, first of all, when I worked in the central bank, I worked on the economic model for the Irish economy, which which did at certain stage amount to counting cranes on the skyline of Dublin and having a hundred, <laughs> sticking your finger in the air, talking to people and saying, okay, you know, three, two and a half percent, et cetera. And then Paul and I worked in this big thing. Do you remember those javelin models we used to work on? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, garbage in, garbage out models. You'd put in all your bits and pieces and plop, out would come a figure of GDP and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah. it is guesswork, but slightly educated guesswork. Slightly educated guesswork. So let's go back to this idea. So I just that was just a bit of a side for people. Those of us who have actually been sausage makers know how these things are made. And I think it was somebody famous said, you don't really want to know how sausages are made as long as you understand or appreciate the taste of them. I think that was referring to politics, but I think GDP modeling could be the, exactly the same. So Paul, we're talking about, it's not a typical recession. That's the first thing, right? Second thing is, I like your Instagram test. This is a very interesting one. So you're saying that people spend initially on big white goods, and then we spend on frivolous good stuff, the stuff we like. Yeah, and it's human nature because you, you've been sat at home in lockdown You've got nothing to do except stare at your tatty three-piece suite and watch home makeover programs on Netflix. What's the very first thing you're going to do as soon as you get out of the house? You're going to go and renovate and, and you know, finally redo the kitchen or whatever it is. But then after that, as the fear comes down and the restrictions come down, it's got to be both. I mean, consumers got to feel comfortable about going out again and the fear level comes down, but you've also got to lift the restrictions. Then that's it. People are going out and spending money on having fun. And it's creating really weird seasonal behavior. Okay, so, tell me about that. Well, so this is one of the, one of the big things, of course, that you know, people do different things at different times of year. But, but the pandemic sort of thrown that all in the air because you know, come April, we were lifting restrictions here in the UK. Was I down my village pub, sitting outside, shivering in two pullovers and a coat, having a, a pint? Yes, of course I was, because it was the first time in months I've been able to do that. Now, I wouldn't normally be going and sitting outside my pub in April under any circumstances. But because you could, you did. You did and yeah. so, of course, that's, I, I'm doing summer-style spending in, 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 the, in a bitterly in, in, in cold in April. Yes, okay. Um, so that's, that's a, that, again, is throwing up uh, all sorts of quirks. We're seeing it in lots and lots of areas of the data. Retailers don't have inventory because they've not been buying during pandemics. There's nothing in the warehouses, which is creating you know, uh, disruptions in the supply chain and uh, fewer sales in the summer season. Normally, you know, they're desperate to clear out their warehouses in the summer. They're not doing that now. All sorts of quirks. Really, really interesting to, to be looking at, but actually quite complicated to explain all the little nuances that are going on because we've got so many unusual factors happening all at once. So when we take the bird's eye view, and I, I want to go around the houses, I want to go to the States, I want to go to Europe, UK, but when we take the bird's eye view, something very profound is happening, which is the what you would call the balance of policy between monetary policy and fiscal policy. Fiscal policy is back in, government spending is back in, in big, big style. So that's the really, is that, would you say, is that the dominant, is that the dominant change we should be aware of that in previous cycles what usually happened as the economy recovered the governments were very very quick to try and rein in the spending that they'd spent during the recession to balance the books and then look forward that's not happening is that no. what what else should we be looking at as, as well i mean the whole pandemic was a fiscal policy issue i mean let's face it last year what happened governments took your money away doesn't matter whether you're a, you know, an employee or a business, governments are saying, no, you can't go out and earn money. Yeah. And if you don't want economic bedlam to follow, governments have got to give you the money back again, which they did through furlough schemes or enhanced unemployment benefits in the United States grants to businesses. 
this wasn't about the cost of borrowing money, which is, of course, the central bank's domain. Normally, in a recession recovery scenario, the cost of credit is actually a pretty important situation. But this wasn't about credit. It didn't matter how much credit you had. It didn't matter how low interest rates were. You still couldn't go out and spend money because you were shut at home in a lockdown and there was nowhere to go. So with that, this was very, very much a fiscal situation. And as we come out of it, I think it remains a fiscal situation. The credit cycle is, is fine. Don't really care about that. It's really the fiscal policy that's the dominant issue at the moment. Okay, so let's go region by region. Let's look at the states. What do you think is going on in the US? Because they, so the they, U- they've come back really quickly. I mean, the economy in the yeah. UK, or the US, sorry, has surged back, I think, quicker than anybody expected, probably as a result of all these quirks and oddities that you were talking about a minute ago. What do you think, looking forward, so the US, I think, has been very interesting that we, we've uh, seen different states opening up at different times, which has been actually quite good as sort of a case study. You, know, you compare Texas, which opened up very early, to New York, which dragged its feet. Fear level is generally very low. You can tell this by sort of analyzing social media, these big data analysis of the language used on Twitter and things like that. People are generally you know, pretty confident. And we've had this classic spending pattern. First, you're spending on... Uh, goods, then you're spending on services. Employment has come back particularly quickly. Uh, so we have seen strong employment growth, but there does still seem to be some frictional unemployment. That is to say, people aren't necessarily in the right place. And, you know, think about it. I mean, look at the UK as an example, as a, as a parallel case. You know, if you're working as a, as a sandwich maker at Pret-a-Manger in, in the city in London, you're no longer getting the benefit of my custom because I'm not in my office yeah. in London. Yeah. My village pub may be short of staff, but you know, a, a sandwich maker from Pradamonje in London is not going to commute two hours for a minimum wage job in the middle of Wiltshire. So you're, you're seeing some of these frictions come in, and that's an issue. One of the other things that we have been saying as well, which we, we need to try and get a better handle on, is there has been a process of automation. So fast food restaurants, for example, you, you, you order your Starbucks over a, an app. You don't deal with a human being until the the barista actually hands you the coffee. Reduced staffing. And and we're not really sure how this is all going to play out. But the US has had a very robust recovery. I think it it obviously slows. You know, the, the, the sugar high of spending those savings, spending those stimulus checks, that's fading, obviously. But you're still going to have, I think, very solid growth because the employment situation is such that households have income, and you know, you give an American money, they will go to the shopping they mall will. and spend yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the nature of the creature. Let me, before we go to Europe, let me go to Asia, because Asia is very unusual in the sense that they've had a totally different pandemic experience to us. Yep. What's going on there? Asia, I think, is, is very interesting, because whereas in Europe, UK, US, for the most part, people didn't lose that much income during the pandemic. And that's why everyone accumulated savings, because the government took your income away and then gave it back to you. In Asia, it's a slight exaggeration, but in Asia, generally speaking, governments took your money away and that was it. They didn't give it back. There isn't the advanced welfare states in most Asian economies that there is in in Europe and the United States and the UK. So what happened was, if you were middle class, you still have your regular income coming in because you're getting a monthly salary. And that meant that you behaved much like Americans and Europeans did. You save money and then you splurge. Yeah. So 
Hermes, the luxury scarf maker, had the best day ever in their history in their Shanghai store the day Shanghai reopened. No because way. Because all there with their accumulated savings. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're, if you forgive the, the rather British terminology, but if you're a working class individual, you're lower income, you're, you're, you're being paid a weekly wage, you don't go to work, you don't get paid. You're living on your savings. You're drawing down yeah. on your savings. Exactly the reverse of what's happened elsewhere. And so the result of that is that this group come out of the pandemic and they're rebuilding their savings. They're not spending. So what we see in Asia... Okay, okay. So, we're, so, the, so the, the, the poorer people are trying to rebuild their savings. They're not splurging at all. Yep. Okay, interesting. And what are and we that, seeing then? That, well, that, that, of course, means that the domestic demand side in Asia isn't so good. I mean, it's been okay, and the middle class are there as well. The middle class are you know, uh, spending money. But the domestic demand side has been weaker. And what Asia has been relying on is exporting goods to Europe, the United States, UK, as we open up and everyone's deciding they need to redo their living room. So we're back to square one, really, you know, in terms of the West dragging the Asians out of recession by our spending I'm just what I'm, I'm just thinking, thinking the politics of this because I'm I'm interested in what, what Biden's much more abrasive approach to China than I think anybody expected, and, yeah. and I'm just thinking how this this analysis feeds into that. How, how does that play out? Well, I mean, I think the thing is that this is a this is a short term assistance to Asia, and the Chinese are very very cognizant of the fact that they need to boost their domestic demand. So I think we will be seeing. Uh, and we, we are seeing some measures already, we will see further measures to try and ensure domestic demand does okay in China and in other parts of Asia where possible. So Biden's policy, I think, is a bit more for the long term, raises some interesting questions about the long term. I don't think it's going to stop the export flow anytime soon. So what we now hopefully will be seeing is Asia will be boosting its domestic demand. Partly that's just natural. You know, savings have been rebuilt. And partly there'll be a policy push in that direction. But it's quite important that that domestic demand does come on stream. Because, of course, if I'm no longer buying a washing machine, I'm off down the village path. Yeah. You're not buying anything from China. That's not going to help China. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go, let's go to, to Europe. What, 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 are you, what are you seeing there? And I'm just talking about the Eurozone in general. Yes. Well, so Europe, of course, has been lagging behind. It's sort of two steps behind the US and one and a half steps behind the UK in terms of the reopening because the vaccine rollout was was that much delayed. And so we haven't seen the full transition to spending that passes the Instagram test. We're still sort of in a mix of, of the good spending and then some areas we're seeing a shift towards services, but it's still quite cautious at this stage. Parts of Europe also do have the problem that the way things are looking we're going to have to write off another tourism season. And that matters if you're Greece, if you're Spain, if you're Italy, if you're Portugal. Sort of matters a bit if you're France. Germany doesn't care. Germany is a, is a tourism importer that say more Germans go overseas than foreigners visit Germany. Same thing actually with the UK. So the tourism industry has got some problems and we're lagging behind. But essentially the fundamental story, tourism aside, is the same. It's just happening three to six months later. So what's going to happen, I think, is that Europe's growth this year is going to be distinctly lower than the Anglo-Saxon countries. Yeah. But the Eurozone's growth next year will be higher than the Anglo-Saxon countries. If you average it out over the two years, 
it'll be it about the looks same. Pretty much the same. Well, exactly. When, when, when we were when we were in the trenches together, we rarely, although I did migrate up to emerging markets, which is always the refuge of all the scandals in the city. But uh, let me let me talk to you about Africa, and I want to talk to you about the Middle East as well. Your your sense of that, because I know you're talking to people from all over the world all the time. Africa, the big imponderable, the continent that will have more people in it than I, I think the statistic is by 2080, four in 10 humans will be Africans on the planet. What do you see there? What are you seeing there? What, what, you know, when the pandemic lifts, when the dust settles, tell me your sense of Africa. Africa is going to be, uh, I think, an interesting area. It presents obviously a lot of opportunity. It also presents a lot of risks. And here, what we're seeing, I think, uh, which is going to be very important for, for sub-Saharan Africa, is the fact that the pandemic has accelerated some of these big structural changes, the fourth industrial revolution stuff, which were going to take place anyway, but they're taking place a lot faster. So things like outsourcing, that's probably not going to be a, a strong feature of the next 20 years. It was never going to be a strong feature. But actually, the process of localizing production is going to happen earlier. Now, that presents some opportunities for Africa because you can make things in Africa for the African market. But it also presents challenges. You know, one of the things which scares me most is when I hear politicians say, we're going to be the next China. No one's going to be the next China. China's model for the last 30 years, fantastically successful, absolutely will not work in the next 20 years. It's completely the wrong model to be following because China made its, its money by being a link in long, complicated supply chains and we're shrinking the supply chains and simplifying them. So there is a, there's a potential for misdirection, which, which really needs to be guarded against. And that, that I think is going to be one of the big challenges as we, as we look ahead. Can I can I come back to you? I just come back come back to you on, on Africa. You know, one thing that struck me over the years is you know you you have this made in Japan, made in Hong Kong. Originally, it was made in Britain. When I was a kid, almost everything in our house was made north of Watford. Now, nothing in our house is made north of Watford, right? And it was made in Germany, right? That was, and still is very much the case. My point is that that brand made in is the manufacturing powerhouse of any country. And I'm not sure I know any example of any country that has got rich without manufacturing. In fact, Ireland imported manufacturing by Intel and Pfizer and all those. We kind of we just we just said, okay, we've no industry, but we need it. So every country needs a manufacturing base to to grow from. Are you telling me that that sort of migration of the manufacturing base, which has been a facet of everything since the Industrial Revolution in the UK, has stopped? That sort of you know we we shunt on you know manufacturing shunts from location to location to location. And, and, and therein is the dynamism of growth for those regions. I think that it's, it's less likely to carry on doing that. Okay. Um, and you know, it, the, this is the, it's actually one of the great advantages of the fourth industrial revolution, because ultimately it makes us more efficient, economically and environmentally efficient. And the two are very intimately linked, as you know. But think about it. 10 years ago, 70% of entertainment, so films, TV, music, games, was sold in physical form. 70% was sold in physical form. Today, nobody buys stuff in physical form. When was the last time you bought a compact disc? You, oh, my nieces 10 years ago, disc, 15 years exactly. ago. Exactly. Yeah. My nieces think a compact disc is what you put a drink on top of. Yeah, um, it's a poster. You know, it, it, exactly. 
And so what you've done there, of course, is the ultimate in localization. You know, you're streaming, you're producing music or entertainment or whatever it is in your home. It's the ultimate local production. But then also with robotics and automation, a lot of these industries which were over the last uh, 30 years frantically searching for the next lowest cost labor destination, they're now starting to say, actually, you know what, 100 workers and 100 robots in New York, and we can replace 5,000 people in Shenzhen. And so we're already seeing this in some industries like uh, fast fashion clothing, which traditionally has been very labor intensive, always yes. going out to the cheapest locations. Actually, that's starting to come back because it's a lot more efficient to be almost producing on demand. And I you know, that's look the, at the, my, sort of, the sort of Zara model, isn't it? Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. But, it, um, but it's, it's going actually very, very broad now. And it's going in two ways. Either you are mass producing on demand close to your customer base. So you don't have long lead times. And if the weather changes, you change demand. So you know, every Irish store at the moment, I'm sure, is is stocking in t-shirts and shorts for the for the summer spring in, in um, inappropriately you know. tight in all areas as well I've exactly yeah. uh, and you know for the and next... that's just john across the way <laughs> <laughs> so for, for the next 48 hours all anyone in ireland is going to want to do <laughs> yeah, is, exactly. is, is strip off exactly. yeah. but then next week you'll all be back to you know raincoats and, and yeah. thick pullovers so you can vary the, the the supply a lot more and then the other thing you're doing towards is customized uh, and you're seeing this more and more. You you say, okay, these are my measurements. Make me a T-shirt that fits me exactly, or fits the the image I think my body is. You, you, it depends <laughs> yeah. how honest you are in your measurements. Um, and that's what they're doing. So you're you're seeing this localization come through. And I think this comes in more and more over time. I think about my wardrobe now. I mean, again, 10, 15 years ago, most of my casual clothes would have been you know, made in Asia somewhere. I don't think that's the case now. Most of them are made in the UK or, or at the very least in Europe. Okay, let's let's leave our, our sartorial uh, elegance, the pair of us, and our discussions about ill-fitting and tight-fitting T-shirts, Johnny Boy and Paul. Let's conclude with the UK. Again, the UK, you know, for our audience, the UK is still the biggest. It's, it's not our biggest export market. Actually, it's actually dwindled a lot, but it's, it's, our, it's the big presence in this, in this neighbourhood you're the big boy knocking around. You still are. What's going on over there? The UK has has come back very well, generally speaking. We do have a problem with the data. So the UK calculates GDP differently to almost every other country on the planet. Why does that not surprise me? And so the, the, the UK argument is, well, we do it better than everybody else. Yeah, naturally. And, and actually, there is <laughs> like, a Like certain, the way you take penalties. <laughs> there's, a, there's a certain amount of validity to this. Um, so, for example, in the UK, the value of education is calculated by the number of students being educated. In Ireland and in Europe and America, the value of education is calculated by how much you pay your teachers. So that is if you have a situ- yeah. So if you have a situation where the schools are closed down, the teachers are still being paid, but you've gone into lockdown or you, you've got home tuition, the students aren't in school. So the value of education in the UK collapses. Value of education in Europe doesn't change. So this is actually, it's, it's creating havoc with international comparisons. If you actually say, okay, let's, let's forget the numbers. Let's look at what's really going on in the economy. It's actually doing 
pretty well. And the UK does have a couple of key advantages throughout pandemic. So the first is it's a lot easier to work from home in the UK than almost any other country in the world. Why is that? Well, I can do my job perfectly well from home. You know, I can write research. I can have calls with clients. I can do TV. I can even do podcasts from you home. You could even do podcasts, absolutely. Even beamed into podcasts. the basement. Then beamed into the basement <laughs> in Dunleary. Go on. Exactly. So, so it's very easy for me to work home. Quite difficult to build a BMW in your front garden. <laughs> I take your point. So, so the, because the, the, the UK is a service sector country, yeah, makes a difference. Then the other thing is the UK and South Korea prior to the pandemic, used to compete for number one online retail sales. So we already had the infrastructure in place for online retail sales, because prior to the pandemic, about 20% of non-fuel sales were, were online in the UK. Oh, was that was that the UK was just an early, early adapter on online retail? Is that just a cultural I, thing? I think it's, it's a mix of things. I think some of it is cultural. I think partly as well, it's the fact that we are you know, a very densely populated island. I mean, South Korea, also very densely populated, which meant that, you know, I mean, I'm in the middle of the English countryside and I've got five major cities within half an hour's drive. Yeah. And so if I want goods delivered within 24 or 48 hours, not a problem. So if I'm ordering online, the delivery is then very sure. efficient. No, you I don't get, get the I instant get gratification. So I think, I think that's a, a key part of it. But what that meant, of course, is that every UK retailer has a website and they've got the payment system and they've got the relationship with the delivery companies. And so, you know, my brother is a, is a retailer here. He um, uh, sells disco equipment and, and sound systems, different career paths. And... <laughs> I, 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 I want to talk about the Donovan family having a chat about how the weekend was. How was your, how, how are the disco balls selling? That's what I want to say. How are disco balls selling? You know, because lockdown here... Do- Many, many people, I tell you, we have, we have, John have a mutual friend who tries to train us, and tries to keep us in shape, which is a pathetic, uh, well, we're a pathetic response, He's a, but, but he, he was definitely, he was having all sorts of uh, fun in his kitchen with, yeah. with, yeah, he with his, the, with his, his decks. Oh, yeah. yeah no, no, <laughs> so your brother was selling decks to lots of people, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he did a roaring trade during the he pandemic. Did, he had a great pandemic. He had a good pandemic. He had a great pandemic. But of course... He closed his showroom actually two weeks before the official lockdown began and said, no, we're only doing online. But because he'd already got all of that infrastructure, it was just perfectly simple for him to do. And so what that's meant is that the UK does have a certain amount of right. resilience to it. And it's, and it's done pretty well. I mean, I'm last to claim that it's perfect. And obviously, we've, you know, we've had a very high infection rate and fear levels were high for a period. But actually, overall, it's, it's done very well. We do, however, have these regional frictions. So we are a net uh, tourism importer. More Brits go overseas than, than foreigners come here. But the foreigners, when they do come here, tend to be concentrated in places like London. Yep. So the London tourism industry is really suffering and has been doing so, whereas you know, areas outside of London, which are perhaps less tourism dependent, are doing better overall. So you know, there's, there's some regional differences coming through as well. And just lastly, before we go, Paul, I mean, it's a big question, but, you know, the pandemic lifts, hopefully the inoculations work across the board, they're rolled out, the Delta variant peaks and then begins to uh, display the same sort of mechanics as most of these crowd diseases do. Mm. What do you think is the big or two or three big takeaways in the global economy 
of the pandemic. You know, a lot of people say, if you look at the 20s, there was a roaring 20s. There's lots of good stories being told. Mm. When you're looking at what, what do you feel would be the biggest consequence? So I think there are, there are two. So the first, as we've already discussed and, and we discussed last time, I think the structural changes of the economy that would have evolved gradually over the next five years, they're accelerated. Good and bad news in that. The good news is that actually this does make us more efficient and, and it's, it's in the long term, it's a healthy thing. The bad news is it's very disruptive and it can create antisocial trends, prejudice, et cetera, discrimination. So there, there are worries there. But that accelerated process of structural change. So, so just, so just, just before one. we go, the, the, the structural change is the ability to work from home. It's this the serviceization of the economy. It is the depletion of manufacturing. Online retail. All these sort of things. So because so, disruption, as, as we all know, if you're, if you're sitting with a good income, disruption's great because mm. typically it brings prices down. But if you're sitting with yep. a fragile income, disruption's really unpleasant because typically you're disrupted. You are the disruption. So you're saying yeah. socially we're in, we're, we could be in for some sort of friction and challenge and politics changes, nationalism, nativism, all that stuff we're seeing keeps, yep. stays here. Is that what you're saying? Stays here and probably gets worse, to be honest. Okay. Uh, and, and the speed means that you've got less time to react. So that's, that's the negative. There is, I think, a, the second point that I think has come out of the pandemic, which I think is possible counter to that and is a positive, is that there is now more acceptance that government has a role to play in society. You know, even in the United States, which has been very, very hostile, uh, and you still have problems in, you know, with hostilities government in certain areas, but there is an acceptance that government has a role to play in trying to rebalance yes. the economy. And there's more focus on the imbalances. So that, I think, is a help. I've got the, the good and bad news of accelerated change. Yeah. And then what I think is generally a positive, which is that there is an acceptance that government has some role to play. Debate how much, that's up to an individual society to decide, but there is more acceptance of the idea that in a period of upheaval, the government should perhaps step in. Interesting. So it's less like the 20s, more like the 30s, if we're going to go back for historical references. I would say yes. It's it's elements of the 30s, elements perhaps of, of the, the 60s as well, in, in that sort of uh, you, it's not that the government's going to try and run everything about your life, but the government is going to try and smooth over yeah. some of the, the, the obstacles that are, are going to be coming to people's lives over the next few years. Fascinating stuff, Paul. Fascinating stuff. A tour de force, Paul. A tour de force <laughs> around the world. Listen, we'll talk to you very so- shortly. Listen, Paul, take care. Thanks very much indeed, David. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, in, in a true American way, there's a lot to unpack there. Oh, say it, take a deep dive, John. Take a deep dive. I want you to talk to me about the Instagram I, economy. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, great Talk to expression. me about that. So what he's saying is, like, I'm not on Instagram, right? Mm, no, me neither. But the, the rest of the world is on Instagram. And they want to do take photos of themselves, yeah. of their food, yeah. of their new jeans, of their new runners, right? Of <laughs> yeah. their new everything, right? And they send it to the world, like, oh, I bought a new pair of runners. And they send it, right? So what he's saying is the Instagram economy, I love this idea, is the late phase economy. So what he's saying is the way recoveries happen, particularly after this particularly weird pandemic, is people, as he said, have been sitting at home on the same old furniture for eight months yeah, looking yeah. at each other, right? Yeah. The first thing people are going to their stains do, are getting yeah, tilted up. <laughs> exactly. So they get new stuff, right? Yeah. New furniture. This is how we're spending, right? But then he says that what they call the white goods section. So new fridges, new this. That then bleeds into, if you will, the Instagram economy. So the next phase is you spend money on going out. On right. going out to the pub, taking photos of your mates in the pub yeah. on Instagram. After all those food. photos of the fridges. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is probably, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is, absolutely. There's a niche market for you, John. Fridge photography by John Davis. <laughs> exactly. So he's, I think it's a really lovely expression, Instagram economy. It's that part of the economy that's fun yeah. that you spend and he says, that then takes off. And what he's saying is, it's like a sugar rush. These things just boost the economy. And that's what we're seeing happening mm. right now. And you've seen that happening in Ireland yeah. right now. Yeah. You know? And he, I, I just think Paul's got a really good take on the way in which the economy is a combination of what I would call almost agricultural economics, like levers pulling, right? Yeah. You know? But then what he's got this, it's got this lovely take on the way technology is changing, the way demography is changing, and the way different generations are, mm. are, are, are spending money, are not spending money as the case may be. And what I did find fascinating was his idea that, you know, again, the recovery in Asia is quite different because poorer Asians didn't get any welfare subsidies. Yes, so they're course, rebuilding yeah, their yeah. savings, you know, whereas richer Asians, as you the Hermes bag idea, are outspending yeah, yeah. a fortune. Yeah. I also thought his 
discussion on the UK was fascinating, that idea of the way the UK values education differently. Yes, wasn't it? Yeah. And the way the UK is a services economy. And I think he put it, it's much easier to, for someone like him to work, you know, writing yeah. newsletters and yeah. la la la. He said, it's quite hard to put a BMW together in your front garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that the UK is ahead because of the nature. You know, as always with Paul, fascinating stuff. I think what we will see, if you think of the last time the world had this big pandemic, the Spanish flu, and then it gave way to the 1920s. Yeah. The 1920s was an exceptionally interesting period. But he was saying it was more like the 30s. You say it's more like the 30s. Yeah. But what I'm thinking is that in terms of innovation, in terms of change in the way people live, the 1920s was probably the most disruptive decade. I mean, even, even in art, you would Joyce, even you Picasso. Think about yeah. everybody was going on. You yeah, had yeah, Freud, yeah. you had Einstein, all these amazing people were actually at the peak of their powers in the 1920s. And they built up this portfolio of work through the hundreds uh, and the teens. And, you know, the fascinating thing about... The legacy of the pandemic, I'll leave it this, is that James Joyce wrote Ulysses during the Spanish flu. It's never mentioned, right? There's no reference to it in art. There's right. no reference to it in anything. It's as if the world forgot about it. Because if you look for references from the biggest killer... That's interesting, yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. So it's as if the world 100 years ago blanked it out. And maybe we will blank it out too. Just a quick note to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And if you fancy supporting us on Patreon, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.